بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد so we continue with reading into Kitab al-Tawheed and we came to the chapter the chapter title Man Haqqa al-Tawheed Dakhla al-Jannah bighayri hisab Whoever perfects and actualizes al-Tawheed will enter paradise without hisab, without reckoning and we work through the evidences that the Imam he brought here under this chapter. Um, and as we said in the previous class, we would uh, we would come back to the hadith, the final hadith within the chapter, and bring uh, some of the benefits and important points that we need to understand and make mention of uh, concerning this particular. Uh, topic in this chapter that is before us <clears throat> and that is <clears throat> the hadith from Al- from Hussein Ibn Abdurrahman that which you see for those who were expecting the second screen we have the, our technician unfortunately is, isn't with us today uh, but inshallah will be back when he's back now so from Hussein ibn Abdul Rahman who said, I was with Sa'id ibn Jubayr. Both of these men are from the Tabi'een, from the second generation. From the second generation, the generation that followed after the Sahaba. He, was, he said that I was with him, I was with Sa'id ibn Jubayr when he asked, Who amongst you saw the shooting star last night? Naam. To which I replied, again this is Hussein. He said, I did. However, I wasn't in prayer at the time. However, I wasn't in prayer at the time, but I had been stung by a, pos- by a poisonous scorpion. Uh, so as we work through this hadith, or in fact what we'll do is we'll, we'll recap the hadith and then we'll mention, make mention of some of the uh, points that Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz rahimahullah he mentioned. So then Saeed, he said, what did you do? Since you were stung by a poisonous scorpion, what did you do? I replied, Hussein, I sought for ruqya to be performed on me. So as it's come in the hadith, he said, he said, irtaqayt. He said, irtaqayt, I sought for ruqya, meaning I asked that ruqya be performed on me. Sa'id, he then, he then said, Sa'id ibn Jubair, he said, what compelled you to do that? So I said, a hadith that a shabi narrated to us. And then upon this, Saeed, he responded to him and he said, he said, there, he said, Naam. Sorry. So Hussein, he then went on to mention the 
a hadith that Al-Sha'bi narrated uh, that Al-Sha'bi narrates from Burayda ibn Husayn, the companion who said that the messenger of Allah said there is no ruqya except from Al-Ain the evil eye and from Al-Huma which is the poisonous sting Naam Thereafter Saeed he, he responded to Hussein and he said He who stopped at that which he heard Has done well Meaning He who acts upon knowledge Has done well Since he's not acting upon ignorance He's acting upon knowledge So he's done well However Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma narrated to us that the Prophet said, then now here we have the statement of the Messenger of Allah from the hadith, that the nations were displayed before me and I saw a Prophet with a small group with him. The word that was used is rahat. We explained that last week or the last in the last lesson. That number there or that that, that word what does it refer to? Or how many does it refer to? Three to nine. Between three to nine. So a prophet who came with a small group, meaning three to, between three to nine individuals, a very small group. And a prophet who came with one or two men. And a prophet with none, with no followers. Then there appeared a large group of people, which I thought to be my nation. But I was told that that was the that that, that this was Musa السلام, and his people. Later, a larger group appeared, and I was told that those were my nation. Among them are seventy thousand who would enter paradise without reckoning and without punishment. And then the Prophet وسلم, he stood, he got up, and then he left for his home. And so the people began to discuss as to who those 70,000 might be. Some of them, some of them they said, perhaps it is those who accompanied the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the Sahaba. Others said, maybe they are those who were born into Islam. And therefore, they never committed shirk because they were born into Islam. They never ascribed anything as a partner to Allah. They mentioned a number of things. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he came out to them and was informed about that which they were discussing. And he replied and he said to them, he said, they are those who do not request ruqya, la yistarqoon. They don't request ruqya to be performed on them. Nor do they yaktawoon. Nor do they cauterize themselves. Cauterize. What does that mean? To heal through fire and using fire to to, to cauterize to, to uh, heal one's oneself. Nor do they believe in bad omens, but they put their trust in Allah. But they put their trust in Allah Subhanahu. And so upon this, one of the companions, Uqash ibn Mahsan, he stood and he said. He said to the Messenger of Allah, he said, Call upon Allah that He makes me from them. 
And so the Messenger Muhammad وسلم, he responded to that and he said, You are from them. Antaminhum, you are from them. Then another man stood and said, Call upon Allah that He makes me from them. And here this time the, the Prophet وسلم, he said that Uqasha has preceded you to it. Naam. So that was the hadith that we we covered in the previous uh, session. And so here we make mention of a few uh, points that Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz rahimahullah he mentioned. Uh, going back to the point wherein Saeed he asked who from amongst you witnessed the shooting star last night to which Hussein said I did. If you recall he said he said uh, he said me however I wasn't in prayer I wasn't standing in prayer so the shaykh he says here in this is a description of the characteristics of the salaf the early muslims and that is that they would abstain or they would try their best to stay away from making apparent their actions, their righteous actions. They would stay away from that. Why? From fear of showing off. So this was the way of the Salaf, how he made a point of this to Saeed in saying, I wasn't standing in prayer. Meaning, if you're asking who saw the shooting star, I'm saying to you that I did. But then what was I doing up at that time of the night? It can come to your mind that I was praying. But I don't want you to think that because I wasn't. I wasn't praying. So they didn't, the way the Salaf is that they, they, they wouldn't want people to think about them, that they're performing actions which they're not doing. So this is from the way of the Salaf. They would not want to be praised for that which wasn't in them. Nah, so as Sheikh Ibn Faymin, rahimahullah, he said here also, that this was their way, the way of the Salaf. Um, however, this also does not mean that a person doesn't strive to, to perform the righteous actions. Because yes, from the Salaf, those who would say that Tarkul Amal Leaving off actions, leaving off righteous actions from fear of showing off is itself, or in and, itself, in and of itself is also showing off. A person almost as though he um, wants to show this, yani this, like over piety. Now, but Sheikh Ibn Thameen, he, he mentioned here, that a person performs the righteous actions and he has it in his heart. He's, he's adamant that he's not doing this to show off and he doesn't make it apparent to the people. Whenever he's able to hide it, he hides it. Now, and so here, uh, the Sheikh, he mentions that this, this was a, a trait from the traits of the Salaf. They would try their utmost best to Stay away from this and also from Tasqiyat al-Nufus, from praising oneself. Now, 
As for when Saeed asked him, what is it that, that caused you to do this? What is it that, that uh, made you go out and seek the Ruqya? After he asked him, um, who, would, who, would, who saw the shooting star? Remember he said, I did. I wasn't in prayer, but I did. And why, why was he up late? Because he had been stung. Meaning he couldn't sleep because he was, he was stung by this poisonous sting, uh, by this poisonous scorpion. Now, so, after he informed him that he had sought the Ruqya, Saeed asked, what is it that caused you to do that? What, what pushed you to, to doing that? In this, Sheikh Ibn Abbas, he says that we see that the Salaf, they would ask for proof. They would ask for proof for why somebody or someone is performing a particular action. So in this is questioning an individual for proof. And also, again, showing to us the way of the Salaf um, in how they would make mudakra. They would revise with, revise with one another. They would revise uh, masail, matters of the religion. They would ask for evidence. They would convey evidences and so on. And ahadith. Now, dalil, and to, 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 in this also is a proof to, to ask for evidence. Now, as for the statement of Saeed when he said, he has done well, the one who um, acts upon that which he heard and restricts himself to that which he heard. Meaning, he restricts himself to, himself, himself to knowledge. He doesn't act upon ignorance, but he acts upon evidence and knowledge. Um, the Sheikh, he says, The reason why he said this to, to him is because he acted upon knowledge. Bijal. And he didn't act upon ignorance. Now, um, as for the statement of Hussein, wherein, wherein he went on to mention, now, after being asked for the proof, and what is it that caused him to seek Ruqya, he went on to mention the hadith from Buraida. Uh, the statement of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That there is no Ruqya There is no Ruqya Except from the evil eye Or the poisonous sting Here <clears throat> The Shaykh he says There is no harm in a person Performing Ruqya on himself or seeking the ruqya to be performed on himself. Yes, the hadith in topic is regarded, and, and the reason or one of the main reasons why the hadith has been stated here by the imam is to prove how there will be those who will enter paradise without hisab, without punishment and without reckoning. And the hadith shows to us or tells us that the trait or one of the traits of those 70,000 is the fact that they don't seek the ruqya. However, that does not mean it is haram. And this is uh, a, a common 
misunderstanding that people have. That after hearing this hadith, they think it's haram to seek ruqya. It's allowed. It's allowed for a person to seek ruqya. If he goes out and asks someone to perform ruqya on him, however he deprives himself from this virtue. That's the understanding. It doesn't mean this hadith doesn't mean it's haram for a person to go out and seek ruqya. It just means he's deprived himself of this virtue. Now, and so we focus on this hadith um, for, for a moment. The hadith that we just mentioned there, or the, the, hadith, the hadith which comes within the hadith. Because Hussein mentions from Buraida, this is the proof that, or this is the thing that pushed me to, to, to seek ruqya. He then mentioned, La ruqya, the statement of the Messenger of Allah, La ruqya illa min ayn ahuma. There's no ruqya except from the evil eye. Uh, and the poisonous thing. Here the scholars, they mention that the intent here, as Sheikh Ibn Bazi says, he says, وَلَيْسَ الْمُرَادِ فِي الْحَدِيثِ الْحَصَرِ The intent within the hadith is not to restrict ruqya to these two, two matters. Because, look, if you were to literally take this hadith, there is no ruqya except from the evil eye and the poisonous thing could come to a person's mind, that's the only th- two things that you can make rukia from. So you can't make rukia from, for example, magic, or jealousy, and so on. That is not the intent from the hadith, Sheikh Ibn Ba'az, and others have explained. This, this hadith doesn't intend to restrict rukia to these two things. However, what is the intent is that there, if there's anything that is worthy of ruqya, it's these two things. But there are others. There are other matters that a person can resort to ruqya for. This is the meaning. So the, so, so the correct understanding is that there is no ruqya more worthy than the ruqya of the evil eye and the poisonous thing. And that is why the shaykh, he says, This is how the scholars, they understood it. That... The hadith is referring to that which is more is, is more worthy. The ruqya that is more worthy. So, la ruqya awla min ruqya al-ayn wal And because the ahadith, if you go back to the sunnah of the messenger of Allah s.a.w. and the ahadith, we see that they point towards the permissibility of performing ruqya for other than these two matters. Naam. And so, um, these ahadith, they prove to us that ruqya is not restricted to these two. But that it is permissible to perform ruqya for other than this. And so we have in the hadith, wherein the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he said, لا بأس بالرقى ما لم تكن شركا. There is no harm in ruqya so long as they Involve no shirk. As long as they don't involve shirk. Now, now, also we have the fact that Jibreel alayhi salam, he performed ruqya on the Prophet sallallahu From the uh, hadith of Abu Sa'id, wherein he mentioned that Jibreel he came to the Prophet and he said, Ya Muhammad. He said, Are you are you ill? So the Messenger of Allah he said, Yes. 
And so then Jibreel alayhi salam, he then went on to uh, make ruqya upon the messenger of Allah salam. Jibreel, the angel, he made ruqya upon the messenger of Allah salam, and he said, Bismillah, Bismillah arqiq. Bismillah arqiq. In the name of Allah, I, yani, I, I perform ruqya upon you. Arqiq, from ruqya. Bismillah arqiq. Min kulli shayin yu'adhik. I, I, I perform ruqya on you in the name of Allah from everything yu'adhik that harms you. Again, shown is not just ruqya from these two things, but everything, anything that harms. Naam, min kulli shayin yu'adhik. Min sharri kulli nafsin aw aynin aw ayni hasidin. Naam. From everything that harms you, from uh, every evil of يعني, uh, the soul, or from every soul, the evil of every soul, or any hasidin, Allahu yashfiq, or from the eye of the jealous one, from the eye of the jealous one, naam, Allahu yashfiq, bismillahi arqiq. May Allah cure you, Allahu yashfiq, bismillahi arqiq. In the name of Allah, arqiq, I perform ruqya upon you. Now, and so here we see that the messenger of Allah himself had ruqya performed on him. Now, does that mean that the Rasul that he sought the ruqya? Hmm? Now, see, there's a difference. There's a difference between somebody going to another and performing ruqya upon him. This is not the case of the one who asks for it. Hmm? So somebody who's afflicted by the evil eye. If we know of this brother afflicted by the evil eye or by suhar, magic or whatever. If one from amongst the brothers goes, or even a family member, goes and performs ruqya upon this individual, that is not the same as this individual seeking the ruqya. He's not asking for it. And there's no harm in him allowing this person to perform the ruqya upon him. Does it, does it mean he'll be from the 70,000? He can, he can still be from the 70,000? No. No. Because he's not seeking it himself. No. But rather, somebody else has come, and from their perspective, performing a good deed, and aiding the, yani, his Muslim brother or, or sister. No. And so here we see that it's permissible to go and recite on somebody else. We see Jibreel alayhi salam reciting upon the messenger Muhammad كذلك, the Prophet وسلم, he would recite the ruqya perform the ruqya on his sahaba as it come from the hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha that the messenger وسلم, would say to the sick person he would say Bismillah Turbatu Turbatu Ardina Bariqati Ba'adina 
in the name of Allah, turbatu ardina, which means the through the earth of our land. Wariqati ba'dina, naam. Bariqati ba'dina, and through the saliva of some of us, the riqa, the, the saliva of some of us. Naam. Yushfa saqimuna. That our, through this, our sick is cured. And the one who is sick is cured. Naam. Bi'idni rabbina. Through the, or after the permission of our Lord. So we see here, hadith authentic, hadith narrated in the Sahihain, showing to us uh, the following two points, or the following matters, that from that which a person can do, one who has been afflicted by the evil eye, or other than the evil eye, then we have that which has come in the ahadith. We also have that which uh, Sheikh Ibn Thameen, so here we have some points mentioned by Sheikh Ibn Thameen. Other ways in which a person can cure himself or others through the evil, or, or those who have been afflicted by the evil eye, ways in which uh, the evil eye can be cured. And so from them is that the one who, who is afflicted by the evil eye, that he or she the request from the one who they suspect. Or if they know, they may know, or suspect to have يعني, cast the, the evil eye upon them, that they request from them to perform the wudu, or to wash the body parts, those body parts, which they would wash for wudu, and that they then collect that water that is used to wash those body parts. And then that water is then taken and poured over the one that is afflicted. Similarly, they can drink it. And this has come. It's established. In the hadith, the hadith um, uh, recorded by Imam Ahmed, um, Amr ibn Rabi'ah, um, who was responsible for casting the evil eye upon another. And so when they were upon a journey, he saw Sahl ibn Hunayf. Sahl ibn Hunayf. And he was one who was uh, very handsome, he was a handsome individual, pale, and in his complexion, Husnul Jasad will jild. He had had, uh, his body was in good shape and appearance, his skin likewise. And when Sahih ibn Hunayf had uh, gone to take a ghusl, gone to wash himself through the ghusl, Amir, he saw him. He saw him and he saw his, 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 his body and his skin and so on. And he praised him. He said, I've not seen the like of him. 
And he praised his, his appearance, his body, his skin and so on. And Sahal, at that point, he fell unconscious, fell to the ground, couldn't get up anymore. He couldn't get up anymore. And then when that reached the messenger of Allah, he said, he said, uh, do you suspect anyone? He said, do you suspect anyone? And so they said, yes, Amir. And they went on to tell him about that which had taken place from Amir, praising him, praising uh, Sahal. When he saw him take the, uh, the ghusl. And so the messenger of Allah, he became angry. And he called for Amir. And so when Amir came to him, he said, Alama. For what reason would one of you kill his brother? For what reason would one of you kill his brother? Some of the scholars they mentioned the reason for saying this is because as is common in another hadith, hadith, hadith that is authentic, that the majority of my ummah would die from the evil eye. Would die from the evil eye. Now. And so he then went on to say, he said, "Halla ida raaita ma yujibuk, barakta." He said, "Would you not, when you see something that amazes you, barakta, that you send baraka, that you send baraka? Yani, when you see something that amazes you, you say baraka Allah alayh." Or you see some, an individual there before you, something that amazes you from him or her, barakallahu alayk. You send barakah. And this is a reminder to us, a reminder to us that whenever we see something that amazes us, and it's very easy for us, very easy for us to be, to, to be heedless and forget to send barakah, become amazed. Possibly, يعني, uh, we become amazed with those things that are dear to us, our children, and so on. Or that which we've been blessed with from wealth and, and, and these things and possessions. But more specifically, as it relates to people, the evil eye. And can we cast the evil eye upon somebody else. And as the scholars have mentioned, it's possible for a person to cast the evil eye upon himself or herself. This is possible also. So here we see the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam reminding us and informing the Sahabi here that if something amazes you, you should send barakah. And so here, as is mentioned, then he, he, he called for water and that he then washes that Amir, he washes those body parts. And also, that he took his, he took off his lower garment, his izar, and poured water over the garment. And that water then was taken and poured over the head of Sahal and over his back. And as the hadith mentions, then he stood up immediately as though nothing had happened. As though nothing had happened. Naam. As, as though there was nothing wrong with him at all. Naam. And so, uh, that also shows to us here the second point that Sheikh Ibn Thimin he mentions that from the ways of curing the evil eye is to take a garment or something that is 
uh, attached to, 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 to someone, such as uh, even, even a, uh, a hat or a garment, as we saw in that hadith, in Izar, the lower garment and so on. Sirwar, as, as Ibn Hamid, he mentioned, someone's yani, trousers and so on. That those items are taken. Um, likewise, the uh, yani, that which a person walks upon by way of uh, yani, the earth, the dust and so on, um, that that is taken, mixed with water, and then that is sprinkled on the, the one who is afflicted by the evil eye. Or, yani, that, that is, it is likewise uh, taken and, 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 and yani, a person drinks from it. Likewise, um, as we take from that hadith that we just mentioned, from uh, the ways of preventing the evil eye, and this is for the ayn, the one who yani, uh, casts the evil eye, and there are from those who yani, uh, very often can be responsible for casting the evil eye. Because yani, they look with the eye that is evil. An eye that is somewhat evil. That's why it's called the evil eye. But rather the eye, the one who oftentimes, you, do, yani you can have someone who of, oftentimes casts the evil eye, even if he doesn't intend it. And upon him is to send barakah, as we've taken from this hadith. That he should accustom himself to send in barakah. Even like, as we said, a parent can possibly do that to, one's ch- to, 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 the, to their children. Doesn't, don't intend it. Don't intend it, but because they don't send barakah. Now, remember the, the story in the, of, of the, uh, the one who had the two gardens in the Quran. Hmm? And then when the garden, he, then that blessing was taken away from him. What does Allah ta'ala say? Or what was said in the Quran concerning his side? Lo qulta Allah. Had you said MashaAllah? And again, this is a Sheikh Al-Fawzan. He says that this is something else that you can say. MashaAllah, because you're attributing that blessing to Allah. MashaAllah. Whatever Allah wills. This is from Allah. Hmm? That beautiful skin or that beautiful appearance is from Allah. MashaAllah. So likewise, that is something that a person can say. Now, um, before we get to this point, here, yani, um, coming back to the hadith and from that which yani, we understand from the hadith, the characteristics of the 70,000 were summed up at the end of the statement of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam after he said that they don't seek the ruqya, they don't ask for it to be performed on themselves, they don't cauterize themselves, and they don't believe in bad omens. As for the first two, seeking the ruqya, as we said, as this hadith shows us, it's better to leave it so as to يعني, um, have that chance to be from the 70,000. So it's better. But it doesn't mean 
it's haram. Meaning any brother, sister who goes out, six, okay, we don't say that you do something haram, no. In fact, there are, there are ahadith where the Rasulullah would uh, inform some of the Sahaba, Asma bint Umais, that in some wordings of the hadith, he asked her to go out and go out and seek those who would perform the ruqya. Hmm? Naam, and as it's come um, concerning that story, where he said, "What is it with her, the, her children that they are?" They are, uh, uh, skinny. They're all skinny. Meaning, I, 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 are they in need? Are they poor? Are they in need? She said, no. But they are uh, afflict, afflicted. Meaning, regularly afflicted by the evil eye. All the, all the children. And so the Messenger of Allah, he said, in one morning of the hadith, he said, go out and seek ruqya for them. Now, and so, it is not haram. As we've established. As for the matter of cauterizing, again there are evidences to show that the Sahaba they cauter, they would cauterize themselves. There are evidences, clear evidences to show that they would cauterize themselves. And so again, this is similar in that it is allowed, but it's better to leave it. As for bad omens, that is haram. So the third matter, which is bad omens, they don't believe in bad omens, because from the mushrikeen, those who they would, yani when they would in, in, intend to, to embark upon a matter, they would believe in bad omens. And so the wording that has come in this hadith, لا يسترقون, they don't seek the ruqya, ولا they don't cauterize. And the third was what? What do we call birds in Arabic? It's from this word here. They don't believe in bad omens. And the reason why this word is used is because the mushrikeen, what they would believe in is if they would intend to embark upon something, that they would look at the birds. If the birds were flying to the right or to this direction, they took it as a bad omen. As a, يعني, it, it's something bad's gonna happen. Or it's, يعني, يعني, I'm not gonna go ahead with this thing. Because that, that means, يعني, or like bad luck. Or you see a common belief that is present even in these times, in these places. That which the people say when they see. Hmm? An owl maybe. Black, black cats. Some of them say touch wood, all of these things. There you are. I'm not sure if it's maybe it's just from back in the days. I'm not sure if it's said anymore, but two magpies. You, you remember that? Some of them used to say, you see two magpies. You see two of them together, it's bad luck. Hmm? This is bad omens. This is haram. So we don't say like the first two that, yani, allowed, but better to leave. Here, bad omens, haram. Haram. Now, which then brings us to brings us back to the first two points because no doubt, um, when one hears the likes of this great reward and virtue of those who perfect tawheed, 
that they enter paradise, that they will enter paradise without punishment, without hisab, and without punishment. And from the scholars, those who say that that includes even in the grave, that there is no punishment in the grave, no punish, no reckoning when they are raised from the graves, and no punishment in that they will they won't enter the hellfire. So guaranteed for them, they won't be. They won't experience the reckoning, the hisab, nor will they enter the fire, but also they won't be punished in the grave. So no doubt, upon hearing this, then the person yani, wishes to be from them. But how a wishing alone is not sufficient. But we see that those 70,000, the Rasulullah he described them. Because remember the Sahaba, they, they began to discuss amongst themselves. Who are they? Maybe it's the companions. Because they accompanied the Messenger of Allah. Maybe it's these, maybe it's these, maybe it's those. But then the Messenger of Allah went on to describe their actions. He went on to describe their actions, showing to us that there are actions that are required. And from those actions is this, this tawakkul. And because we're talking about tawheed, and this is our topic here, then this is from the perfection of tawheed. That whoever has complete reliance upon Allah, this is from the great reward of that. But it goes back to action. And that is why the imam brought this chapter very early on. Because the first chapter was for us to understand why we've been created and what's the obligation that is upon us. Once we learn that, we also learn that Tawheed has tremendous reward. Tremendous rewards. Which is that it guarantees paradise for an individual. It guarantees paradise for the Muwahid. It guarantees paradise for him. He will enter paradise. But the topic of whether he enters the fire before that, that's a different matter. That's a different matter. Yes, the person who dies upon Tawheed will enter paradise without doubt. Meaning his final abode, yes, will be paradise. Guaranteed. As long as he never he didn't commit shirk with Allah. Now, however, then there's the, the daraja or that level of the one who enters paradise min awwal wahla as they say from the very beginning doesn't enter the fire at all it's not punished doesn't even go through reckoning and that requires these actions and that is why if you go back to that hadith of Mu'ad ibn Jabal when he remember he said uh, uh, when he was riding behind the messenger of Allah he said do you know the right of Allah upon the servants and the right of the servants upon Allah what did he say what, what was the, when after he said Allah and his messenger know best, what did the messenger of Allah say? Naam. The right of Allah upon the servants is that they worship him alone and they don't ascribe anything as a partner to him. And the right of the servants upon Allah is what? That he will not punish. The one who does not ascribe anything as a partner to him, then what happened? Then what was said? What did, what did Mu'adh go on to say? He said, Oh Messenger of Allah, shall I not go on to give the good news to the people? 
What did he say? No. Why? They will rely on that. They will rely on it and then not perform these actions, which could mean they will enter paradise without reckoning and without punishment. You see, because the messenger of Allah wants the best for us. Yes, Tawheed will guarantee you paradise. But if you just restrict yourself to just relying upon Tawheed and not performing these actions, not perfecting it, you can still enter the fire for a while, for a duration. You see? So that's why we see actions are important, no doubt. And that's why Ibn Qayyim, he said, don't let shaitan come. Shaitan will come to the person of Tawheed and the person of Tawheed will say, Alhamdulillah, Allah, I have Tawheed. Look at the Yehud, the Nasara. Look at the Mushrikeen, look at the, the Hindus. Or even amongst the Muslims. Look at the Sufiyya. They've been guided away from Tawheed. Alhamdulillah, I'm upon Tawheed. And then he becomes reliant on that, over-reliant on that, and then he doesn't perform the actions. He doesn't perform righteous actions, just just depending solely upon his Tawheed. Yes, you've been guided to, to Tawheed, but it doesn't mean, and it doesn't guarantee for you that you won't be punished. Because the hadith of the Jahannamiyun, the hadith of those who will enter the fire for a duration, they'll be burnt. They'll be burnt in the fire until they're reduced to, to, to coal, to burnt coal, to that state. And then taken out and then put into the river of life. And they will return to their original form and then put, be put into paradise. Showing to us that people of Tawheed can be punished because they are people of Tawheed. How do we know they are people of Tawheed? Hmm? Because they enter paradise. And because none can enter paradise, illa nafsun muslim. Except for a Muslim soul, a believing soul, a soul of that, that has Tawheed. So it shows that the people of Tawheed can be in the fire for a duration. So Tawheed itself, as Sheikh Salaf he mentioned, guarantees paradise, but it doesn't guarantee that a person will not be punished. But that goes back to a person's actions and Allah Ta'ala. If he wills, if he wills, he can punish a person for the major sins. If he wills, he can forgive them and, and not punish them at all. From them, those who, who perfect the Tawheed to this level and they will not go through any uh, reckoning or any punishment. And so, when it comes to this affair of Tawakkal, we see the, the tremendous, the tremendous station of Tawakkal. Which no doubt goes back to a person's tawheed. The strength in a, per, in a person's tawheed. That his reliance is upon Allah. Even those matters that are allowed. But because there is somewhat of, يعني, you could say, um, that which comes and blemishes, if you like, his tawheed. They even leave this off. Allowed. But because it can potentially, potentially, yani weaken his tawheed and his reliance upon Allah, then they leave it. This is the meaning here. And that is why many of the sahaba and the self of this ummah, even in matters lesser than this, 
they would يعني from from their practice and habit and that which they accustom themselves to is to leave off depending upon others because the one who seeks the ruqya he's depending on somebody else coming and because in that is something of the potential of him believing that this person cured him or yeah and he was a was a yes of course a means Allah is the one who cured but yeah and it opens up something by way of him becoming reliant on others and so the sahaba and the salaf of this ummah to the point where if one of them would drop his his whip would drop from the from yeah and it, uh, from his riding animal and him whilst being on the riding animal he wouldn't ask somebody else to come and help him give that to him but he would he would pick up the whip himself that's yani, and this is the way the salaf and the sahaba would that yani, they uh, would go above and beyond in these matters and so to this extent they were, they, they were in the habit um, of not relying upon others However, this will end with this. The topic which commonly comes up, um, which is, um, does that now, or that which is coming in this hadith, does it include a person taking medicines and so on, treating oneself with other than uh, ruqya and so on? So, some can argue the principle is the same. Taking medicine. That is it better for me now to leave off medicine? Because if I take medicine, does that mean now I'm relying upon something? Or that potential there of me يعني, uh, attributing يعني, the shifa to other than Allah and becoming reliant? And so then hence my, my tawheed becomes weak. Then this is something which uh, the scholars have discussed. And because we know the affair of treating oneself by medicines and so on. There are plenty of hadith in this regard. And so here, um, we say that the scholars have differed regarding the, the taking of medicines. As you can see here on the screen, scholars have differed regarding taking medicines. Is it allowed, but better to leave it? Or is it recommended, mustahab? Or is it obligatory? None of them say it's haram. Why? Because there are plenty of hadith. Plenty of evidences. The Rasulullah said, he, 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 in the form of ordering, Tadaw, Ya Ibadullah, O servants of Allah, treat yourselves. Treat, treat yourselves with medicine, with, with, yani, with, with, with that which yani, cures you and heals you. So the, the debate then became, is it, is, it, is it allowed but better to leave it? Or, is it mustahab recommended or is it obligatory? So here the madhab of Imam Ahmad was that it is allowed but better to leave it. So the first. Imam Shafi'i, he said that it is mustahab recommended. The madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa was that it is mu'akkad. It is highly stressed. And he inclined towards even obligation. Obligation to take um, uh, medicines and so on because that hadith I just mentioned there Messenger of said all servants of Allah treat yourselves <clears throat> heal yourselves now 
And as you know, the hadith, wherein the Messenger of Allah said that, that there is not a, a, a and it's the same hadith, yani there is not a, a, an illness or a sickness that Allah has sent down, except that He has sent down its cure. And so then He went on to say, so treat yourselves, O servants of Allah. Now, um, the position of, of Imam Malik rahimullah was uh, that taking it or leaving it is the same. It's the same. No difference. So, which position do you take? If it's going to aid you, then we leave you with the statement of, uh, of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Saleh al-Uthameen rahimahullah who who summed it up in a nice way. And according to him, that which is the correct position as it relates to treating yourself with medicines and so on. Sheikh, he said, what is correct is that there's three ways in how we look at medicines. First is that we look at, we look at it and if it is known and, and it is highly suspected that this medicine will bring about benefit, that it will benefit. Um, along with the fact that the possibility of harming oneself or yani, um, yani, that, 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 that without taking it, a person would bring harm to himself. So, again, that medicine, it is either ulim, known, or ghalaba ala dhanni. Or, yani, he has a, yani, uh, overwhelming suspicion that it benefits. And also that if he doesn't take it, harm would come to him. So in this situation, it is obligatory. Is that clear? It is obligatory. This is what Sheikh Ibn Thameen, he says. Now, that's the first. The second is, the second is, that which, uh, that which he has an overwhelming suspicion that it brings benefit. However, However, the possibility of that, that medicine or that treatment harming him or her, is not established. Or that, meaning, without, because the Sheikh mentions here, so the, the better way to put that is, that without taking it, it is not established with him, or he's not certain that the absence of taking it will bring about harm. Is that clear? Hmm? Someone can someone word that in a better way? First, just to explain the point here before I give you an example. That your situation will become worse if you don't take it. That your situation will become worse if you didn't take it now. So, how does that differ from the first? The first we said is that you're, you're, you're certain or almost certain that this medicine or this treatment benefits you. And if you don't take it, it's highly possible, of course we're not saying absolute certain, 
but highly possible that without taking it, you're going to get worse and it's going to harm. So here is something true. The second is where you, again, highly suspect that that thing will benefit you. However, you're not, يعني, uh, you're not taking that, that, uh, that treatment. Doesn't, you're not certain of it, of it harming you. So here, they say that it is, it is better, it is better to take, but it's not obligatory. And because the first is obligatory because the harm is going to come to you. Here, you don't know if the harm is going to come to you. So here, it's better to take it because of the various ahadith saying treat yourself. Hmm? Better to take, uh, it's better to take it, but it's not obligatory. The third is that which cannot be asserted or ascertained. Yani, whether it benefits or whether it harms. Yani, if you were to leave. So here, this is better to leave. This is better to leave. Now, is that clear? Now. So, uh, yani, in, in final, um, we say that um, the likes of seeking a rukya, then it is allowed, but better to leave it. A person desires to be from the 70,000, then he knows it's allowed, but it's, he, at the same time, if he seeks to be from the 70,000, it is better for him to leave it. Now, a common question that comes is what about if someone didn't know that and in the past went out and sought Rukia? Ask for, ask for someone to perform Rukia uh, upon them. Yeah, and does that mean that's it now? Forever. He has deprived himself. He can never be from the 70,000. Hmm? No? But he fell into this. And he tells us whoever, yeah, and he goes who, the 70,000 are those who who didn't ask for the Rukia. Ignorance. Ignorant? Now. Oh, Allah, do not bring us to account for that which we forget or that which yani, we do by mistake. So here, it's called to say if a person was ignorant of it, then he's excused. Even if a person knew of it, but knew the hadith, for example, and he still went out and sought the rukya because let's just say he got to a bad state, a weak state. He just thought to himself, you know what? I'm in a bad state. I'm just going to go out and seek the rukya, even if it means I'm not from the seventy thousand. But then he regrets it later. After being cured, he regrets it, and he's like, Subhanallah. Those 70,000. <laughs> Those 70,000. I'm not from them. Oh Allah, forgive me. He makes tawbah. He makes tawbah. And he asks Allah. Then we say, Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, he forgives shirk. Allah forgives shirk. And so the scholars they mentioned, yes, the person, it's yurja, it's hope for him. Allah will forgive Allah, if he's, he's sincere in that, seeks forgiveness, and then thereafter, doesn't ask for to, to be performed. 
it is hope for him. Kadalik, a question uh, that came um, the jinn. The jinn. Will the jinn be from the 70,000? 70,000. And 8,000 from the 70,000 that bring another 70,000 with them, we said, amounts to what? From the last session? 4 million? 970,000. And three handfuls from the handfuls <laughs> of our Lord. So the reality is the exact number no one knows. But what we can say is more than that. It's more than 4,970,000, for sure. For sure. That's from the Father of our Lord. May Allah make this from them. So, will or are the jinn included? That's the question. That's the question for those who like to question, like to go deep. Does that include the jinn? I think most of us probably are thinking, I hope not. Because <laughs> maybe there's more chance of us being from them. Ah. The scholars differ, to be honest with you, with regards to the jinn. Will they enter paradise? They differ with regards to them entering the fire. And that's because that's completely in the Quran, more than one place. It's clear text in the Quran saying that the that men and jinn will enter the fire. Also in the verse. Jinn will Now we have created for power uh, for, for the for the fire. Many from the men and jinn. So no scholars differ with regards to the jinn entering the fire. I mean, the disbelievers of the jinn, just like the disbelievers from mankind, will enter the fire. No scholars differ there. But with regards to the jinn entering paradise, the scholars differ. Because it's not outright clear proof like that. Mm-hmm. Because some of the scholars, some who said that they'll be, they will be like animals. The animals, what will happen to the animals in your piano? <coughs> Turn to dust. So from the scholars, those who said that the, the jinn, the believing jinn, because the, the kafar from the jinn will enter the fire. But the believers from the jinn, some of them say, they will turn to dust like the animals. However, the jinn the majority of the scholars, they say that they will enter paradise likewise. That is because, I did not create the jinn, or mankind said to worship me. So they are mukandafin. They have been, uh, yani, uh, they are held responsible. responsible. And yeah, have, have obligations uh, upon them. So just as the disbeliever is punished, the believer is rewarded. The believer is rewarded. As for the topic at hand, this, the, those entering paradise without hisab and without abar, from the seventy thousand, those who will come with the seventy thousand, with, with the original seventy thousand, then Allah knows best. We say, we say Allah knows best. Whether that number or that hadith includes the jinn. Now. Now, I'm going to end with that. How the Prophet and the Muhammad were all the Muslims.
those who experience, and usually doctors and those who uh, herbalists and so on, those who um, uh, yeah, experience and acquainted with that science. And as Sheikh Ibn Thabih mentions, that which is mujarrab and that which is witnessed and experienced through generations, people knowing from uh, practical experience. Now, and so for example, honey. Uh, Honey cures, again that's coming in Ahadith, the, uh, the Habat al-Sawda, Habat al-Sawda again, the Black Sea, and so on. Now, um, if someone praises you, but, and they also send that back upon you, but they don't mean it, does it still count? If their intention's not there, then you still get you back. It's possible, of course. It's possible because uh, a person, uh, is, uh, we know that that which we do, that which we say, is void of intention, <coughs> void of sincerity. Then there's no meaning to it. Just like an action of worship, an action of worship which is free from sincerity and intention, the person is not rewarded for it. So similarly, if a person makes du'a say something, do something which is void of sincerity in that. Yeah, and a person doesn't reap the, the, the reward. Um, so a person who may say to someone, MashaAllah, but he doesn't intend it, but really the intent, and that which is in his heart, is hasad, evil eye, then Allah can choose to allow that to, to, to harm that individual. And so, um, Again, what is um, important in general is that a person yani, <coughs> takes the means, stays on top of those matters that have come in religion, that shows us that the or teaches that these matters protect an individual. So the various afkar, the various du'as and so on, the person says in the, mo- in the morning, in the evening, after the prayers, and so on, or when going to sleep, and so on, that a person يعني, uh, stays consistent in this. Because even if a person comes and is one who uh, يعني, uh, casts an evil eye, then that evil eye will not come follow those. Now, so a person uh, should stay on top of that. Um, however, in that case, if a person s- suspects, even if that person said the barakah, yani, that which was apparent verbally, but still suspects that that individual cast the evil eye, then there's no harm in him asking that that person makes the ghost of Did they intend like a particular like, uh, group from the Sahaba? 
Because if they're Sahaba themselves and they say they made hijabs from the Sahaba. Yeah, so some of them, they said, um, those who made hijrah. And they said, because yes, you're right, all those who were present the Sahaba. So did they mean some uh, a specific group from the Sahaba? Then yes, as far as they mentioned, that what they intended, those who asked, or those who said that, made that statement is, uh, perhaps it's those who sahibu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in the hijrah. That migrates with him. Now. Uh-huh.